Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After this, his father died. God removed him from there into this land in which you're now living, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, says God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all, and Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. So there's a little backstory on uh, Joseph, according to Stephen in the New Testament. And so kind of keeping that in mind, let's, uh, let's worship God and prepare to hear more about discipleship.
So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plow nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. All right. Sorry to cut you off there, Rochelle. It's uh, it's weird doing Zoom church, bunch of interesting stuff. But uh, you got the whole Bible verse out, so that was that was great. Let's uh, let's pray, and we will jump into this evening's topic. And uh, you guys can begin to prepare to discuss this with your microchurches. So, join me in prayer. 
Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, just for how interesting, especially this whole section has been, studying it this week. I pray that uh, some of that um, meaning will come through this evening as we all listen to it together. I pray that in our microchurches that you would lead our discussion, that we would be willing and ready to discuss meaningful things with one another, um, things that would help us to grow and become better disciples of Jesus and disciplers of others. And I pray that in Jesus's name. Amen. All right, so the story of Joseph uh, takes up a lot of Genesis. Uh, in fact, it takes up the chapters 37 to 50. And uh, we read Stephen's summary uh, to open it up uh, for those of you who joined a little bit late out of the book of Acts. Um, and of course, we discussed uh, the life of Joseph not too long ago in our year in the Pentateuch uh, here at Mission. Uh, there's no way to unpack uh, all the meaning of this tonight. Um, it's, that's not even my intent. My aim tonight is to look at the whole story and suggest what we can learn about discipleship. So I'm just going to give you a, a quick overview to give you some reminders. And I'll actually say, if you want to, if you want to nerd out on uh, Joseph throughout your next week, there's a great, a great series on Ligonier, um, which is called "The Life of Joseph" by R.C. Sproul. And so, if you, if you really want, there's a bunch of good stuff uh, in there. And there are uh, 20 minute episodes. I believe there's 19 or 20 of those episodes. So if you want to just have something in your ear throughout the week um, and go a little deeper on Joseph, that'd be a great way to do it. But um, a quick, quick overview of Joseph is that Joseph is at the end of the, he's just after the line of the patriarchs, as we call them in the Bible, the patriarchs begin with Abraham. And Abraham is a, an interesting character because his, um, his foundational role in God's people, which is recognized by people of uh, multiple religions, the Jewish religion, the Christian religion, and the, the Islamic faiths, um, they all recognize that he was a person who God came to and God created a people out of him. Uh, it wasn't because of anything that he'd done or because he had done anything remarkable or created um, a nation of himself. It was all of grace, as we would say it, that God made him promises and he received those promises simply by following God or uh, receiving those by faith, uh, as the New Testament would later say. And Abraham then in his old age has a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob. Uh, and these are the patriarchs. Jacob um, is kind of an interesting character and he ends up uh, having a lot of trouble, but one, one little bit of trouble he gets into is he falls in love with a girl named Rachel, works for her father for seven years to marry her and her father um, does kind of the ultimate switcheroo and sticks her uh, sister in there and he marries her sister on accident, which, you know, for people like Corbin and Abby who just got married and Matt and Brenna, um, you know, it's kind of, yeah, right? It's pretty exciting stuff. Imagine if uh, it was just somebody else from the church, actually, uh, some other woman. You're like, whoa, didn't expect you there. Um, I guess that's sort of how it worked. So anyway, um, you know, Jacob moved on from that because he and Leah had 10 kids. So that that's, you know, they did all right. But then, as was the custom, they, they often had multiple wives. And he did marry Rachel after some time and had a son named Joseph. And so because... Rachel was his favorite, and Joseph was the son from this woman who he loved deeply. It was, he was kind of a favorite son. 
I gave him a really great coat that you've all heard of. And Joseph becomes this really amazing character in the Bible, really almost too good to be true. Um, all throughout the scriptures, and a unique thing about these, these scriptures is that all of the people who are given deep uh, religious significance are also shown to have major flaws. They have issues, and, and those issues aren't hidden. And one of the people with the least issues is Joseph. Um, there, there are little things there, but it, it really isn't that dramatic. He's, he's a really obedient son, um, and, and he really seems to have this pretty sterling character. So his brothers become jealous of him. He's uh, favored by his father. Uh, he has some dreams of himself being bowed down to, and these are where things start to get a little dicey because his brothers are, are annoyed um, by him uh, telling them about his dreams of how great he's going to be and how they're going to bow to him. And in his second dream, even his parents are bowing to him and his parents are even a little thrown off by that. So at one point, his brothers are about 50 miles away uh, taking care of the animals and his father sends him out to check on them and the brothers see an opportune time to snuff him, to, to kill him, uh, to get rid of him. They, they plot and they go back and forth on how they're going to do that and, and they decide to sell him um, instead of kill him at the end of the day. And he ends up being sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, ends up working in the house of the commander of the guard in Egypt named Potiphar and doing very well, becoming a kind of a manager of his house. And then, of course, Potiphar's wife, uh, as many of you have heard, um, is, is really into him because he was very fine in appearance, um, which means he was hot. Um, so he, uh, good looking guy, I don't, you know, who knows? Who knows in our standards today? So Potiphar's wife's interested in him, tries to seduce him. Um, he runs away. She grabs his coat. This is our second bad coat omen in, uh, in Joseph's life. Seems to be a lot of dreams and coats. And uh, Joseph gets thrown into jail. In jail, he, uh, he's there for a while. And so things are, again, not going well. Uh, and he meets the two people who had been potentially conspirators against Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker, they have dreams. Joseph uh, is, is able to interpret these dreams. It's a pretty incredible thing. And uh, one, the cupbearer is going to be restored to his place in Pharaoh's kingdom. The baker is going to be beheaded. They both come true. The cupbearer swears that he will speak on Joseph's behalf, and then he forgets. Years later, uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, has a terrible dream or two. And this cupbearer remembers Joseph and Joseph interprets with God's help Pharaoh's dream and all of a sudden uh, becomes, he's, he's released from prison, he's given royal robes, he, uh, he predicts a, a famine uh, that's going to come and, and difficult times, which was an interesting thing to read in light of what uh, we're facing here, kind of hard times and thinking about um, how people would survive those times. And, uh, and Joseph is exalted um, and in a deep irony, eventually his family comes to Egypt for help, and they indeed bow before him. And so Joseph's story is really a, if, if you're reading the book of Genesis, which is really um, the, the first book of Moses to the people of Israel, Joseph is really a, a salvation story. He ends the book. He was the one rejected by his brothers. He was the one rejected by God's people. Um, he was even rejected by Egypt, by the world, and then God exalts him uh, up to the right hand of the king, and he is the one who brings salvation 
uh, not only to Israel, but to all the peoples uh, of the earth. And interestingly, even through Joseph, some Egyptians uh, through his wife and his children are brought in to the people of God. For those of you who've tuned into Christianity for a long time, you'll hear a lot of parallels there to what we see in Jesus. So there's a lot in his life, a lot to examine. But my question today is what do we learn about discipleship? What do we learn about discipleship? I saw, saw four things in here I wanna share with you. First, Joseph's life is a long obedience that is shared uh, with others. So as I said before, Joseph isn't a perfect uh, character, but he's uniquely righteous, which is why he's considered kind of a savior at the end of Genesis and why many consider him to be what we'd call a type of Christ and a type in the Bible and think like personality type, that kind of thinking. A type is a person in redemptive history who prefigures Christ in a specific way, but falls short of the ultimate reality. And so there's this uniquely righteous character, Joseph, is, a, is considered by many to be a type of Christ, but he's not perfect, but he was uniquely good. Yet, despite his goodness, his life is not fair at all, uh, repeatedly, drastically not fair. Joseph exhibits faithfulness is greater than fairness. I can't think of anywhere in the Bible where fairness is promised, but in the life of Joseph, it's just off the table. It's horrendously unfair for all the good things he does and all the ways that he tries to be faithful. Um, all he seems to get is uh, accused, wrongly accused, put into prison, uh, losing everything over and over again for a, a long time, uh, for a, a large portion of his life. And Joseph, you have this young man who honored and obeyed his father, yet was treated unfairly by his brothers. A man who flees from temptation, who manages his master's house well, yet his, is um, lied about and thrown into prison. You have a man who clearly prays and hears the spirit of God and trusts in God, but to whom nobody is listening um, and to who people are actually uh, jealous of. So for some time, starting at the age of 17, uh, he is rejected and he isn't appreciated until and brought out of prison until age 30. So sometime, you know, that he is, is struggling. And then um, even at age 30, his leadership only extends over the nation of, of Egypt and you could say his family. Um, and it begins to spill over to bless others, but it's not until potentially nearly age 50 that his family recognizes uh, who he is and loves him and uh, where he and his brothers are reconciled. So clearly the life of Joseph um, does not teach us that anything is quick, easy, fast, or simple. It's a long road of walking with God for Joseph, a long journey of learning, a slow discovery of the faithfulness of God. So story of Joseph is a long obedience that's then shared with those under his care, uh, with those in Egypt, then finally with his family, his immediate family, and then ultimately with his family, family, his father, his brothers, his mother. So what do you learn about discipleship from that? I, in your microchurches, I want you to ask a couple of questions of yourself, and I want to explain those now so you, you have a little meat to chew on when you get into your microchurch. But the first question is, if you're, if you're over 30 years old and you've got a few years under your belt and you could go back and talk to your 20-year-old self, 
how would you disciple yourself? How would you do it? And then how can you apply that out to others, all right, who are younger than you? And now um, a second question, if you're, if you're uh, under 40, and I know some of you are going to answer this question twice, and that's okay. But if you're under 40, imagine you could flash forward 20 years. How would you, how do you think, how would you imagine that you would, you know, consult yourself about the trials you're facing in your life right now? Imagine that. What do you think your, yourself 20 years from now will say to you now? What do you think you're going to learn? Just give that some thought. And since, uh, you know, I, I'm well aware that it doesn't always work out as well as it did for Joseph um, here and now and in this life. Some of us never get the reconciliation. And, you know, for Joseph, it took way too long, it feels. But for some of us, it, it never resolves in this life. Um, consider, considering Jesus's earthly life, how his life on earth ended in rejection, ended in his death, um, in in many ways, other than his a brief time after his resurrection, even, even after that, many people didn't see him and believe in him. Considering that, how do you think you could learn from Joseph, from how he was faithful when he was 35 years old, despite very little of it being resolved, his, his life with his family being unresolved? What can we learn from him about living faithfully, even when things are unresolved? So I want us to consider those things as we consider Joseph's life. The second thing I think pertaining to discipleship that I saw was that Joseph gained the wisdom of the Egyptians, but he retained the eyes to see beyond uh, by faith. And what I mean by that, Joseph learned a lot of what he learned in Egypt. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Joseph, the man of God, he learned some things at home. Uh, some of it was good, some of it was bad, but he learned a lot in Egypt under the the leadership of people who weren't Christians. Uh, it's a, a you know believers; they they weren't godly. Um, he learned about technology and leadership um, in Egypt, and he was used to used by God to bless and shelter God's people. Um, this happens in Joseph's life. It will happen again in Moses's life, who learns how to be a leader in Egypt. Interestingly, Jesus spends some of his young years in Egypt, and then the Apostle Paul is trained in Rome and, and uses some of that wisdom that he learns in Rome to lead the church. So it's, it's a repeating thing. But we see here that Joseph sees the God of his fathers over and over throughout his story, even when he's in Egypt, even when he's leading like an Egyptian, walking like an Egyptian, right? Anybody heard that song? Wow. That was cheesy. Anyway, um, even when he's in Egypt, leading in Egypt, he's talking about God, the God he believes is behind all these things. And in Joseph, we learn that disciples learn from the stories of their faithful God and from general wisdom that's available to everybody. I think that's a key thing to understand. We can learn from the general wisdom available to everybody and from God. And I want to, I want to, point out one other little detail in this because what was the church? What was God's people for Joseph? Well, it was his home. It was his father's tents. It was his family. They were the people of God. They, his, his father was his priest. His father was the one who made sacrifices. That was his church. 
and his church in many ways failed him. His father didn't lead him perfectly. His father showed favoritism. His brothers betrayed him and they failed in many, many ways. And I think often we want our discipleship primarily to come from our church and that is a great longing. But just like in the life of Joseph, the church, God's people is a mixed bag of sinners. And it's just not going to come across perfectly. It's not going to happen perfect. In fact, in the church might be where you experience some pain um, and some rejection. People are a mess. It's not always the way that we would hope it's going to be. But thankfully, in, in Joseph's life, God provided outside of the church everything that Joseph needed. He had a faithful God, even though the church was not as faithful as it should have been, even though God's people didn't live up to all the standards they should have lived up to, God was faithful despite all of that. And I, and I know from hearing many of our stories that that is relevant uh, to our lives. So I'd say in all of our lives, the church is God's people and does have a high calling, but it's still a people in need of grace. And we as disciples and disciplers are going to have to learn from God sometimes outside of the church without abandoning or turning on God's people in the church. And that's an incredible thing we see in Joseph is if anybody had, you know, I don't know of anybody in our church who's had, you know, the church actually try to kill them. So far, I don't know of any of you that, you know, where Epicenter tried to kill you or whatever, um, or Midtown or, or any other church. But Joseph, who, who's the church, God's people tried to kill him he remains faithful to God and to God's people and wants to see the church restored. And that's a pretty incredible thing. So in your micro churches, I want you to name a disappointment with the church. And, and if you can be very specific, and then I want you to, if, if you can, and if you can't, it's okay, but to try to see how God has worked outside of the church to be faithful to you, to show his faithfulness to you. And the fact that you're here today, the fact that you're still with us probably means that you can see that, that you could find something like that. Third thing I see in the life of Joseph is the power of reflection. And I would say, subtitle this, why we should value some of our elders. Um, we've probably all heard a million times, you know, respect your elders. And uh, you should usually do that. Um, I, I will say though, I worked in an independent living home. And if any of you have ever worked in, in a, a situation with people who are retired or toward the end of, your, of their lives, there's something you will, will see and you will learn. And unfortunately, what happens when you work in independent living or assisted living is a lot of the people revert back to like middle school and high school behavior. It's a really interesting thing to watch. Um, Little, uh, you know, relationship spats start happening. There's a lot of um, immorality, um, selfishness, uh, deep selfishness, gossip. Um, and it can be kind of frustrating to see and kind of confusing uh, to watch. And sometimes that has to do with memory issues and the like. And other times it's just because all of the restraints of adulthood or marriage or parenting or work are gone. And the person just reverts back to the immaturity that was never really purged from their lives. But that said, in the independent living home that I worked in and, and in all the other ones I've seen and, and in the lives of elders that I've watched, there's a group 
that don't do that, who actually show this trajectory of continued maturity, of continued growth, of continued wisdom, and they stand out. I mean, maybe even more than they stood out in their in their regular lives when everybody else was kind of constrained. In their older age, they stand out as people of wisdom, as people that are worthy of following and listening to. So some people have this walk with God that leads them to have a deep power of reflection. And in Joseph, I think we see something like that. Um, briefly, I, I, I'm not going to read it because of how long it is. But Joseph, you'll remember when he was 17, he, uh, he told his story of his dreams. And he just stood up in front of his brothers and basically was like, I had a dream. And my dream was that all of you guys were bowing down to me. What do you think? And they were like, we want to kill you. That's what we think. Like, you are the worst. And so what you see with Joseph, when his brothers come back to Egypt, you see a very different guy. You see a man who is much less overt, much more discerning. He's testing them. He goes through multiple stages. He doesn't disclose who he is right away. He puts money in their sacks. He puts his silver uh, cup in Benjamin's uh, feed sack when he sends them away from Egypt where they've come to seek for food. And all of this is this slow discerning of where are these men at? Can I trust them now? Are they willing to repent Will they share with me what I want them to share? Will they admit what they've done? He's, he's very judicious, very discerning. It reminds me of even in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of being wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. It seems like Joseph has grown and matured and changed. He's more wise concerning the ways that he lives his life. And even at the very end of his life, he says something to his brothers after he's disclosed who he is and after he's wept with them and embraced them, he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And to me, this is one of the most nuanced and deep statements. This is deep theology. This is deep philosophy, that there can be multiple causes or purposes to an event that someone can still be responsible for their actions, even if God above their actions has a good purpose that they can't even derail. And this is, this is theology that, that racks our brains to this day. And Joseph, as he's nearing, you know, 50 years of age, is finally able to wrap his mind around something like that and communicate it to his brothers. So with all these things in mind, I would say much of this nuance and discernment comes from reflecting on lessons learned. Essentially, you have to have years under your belt. And, and that said, your years under your belt don't always produce this. Trusting God is key. But years under your belt, years of walking with Jesus, years of reflecting can lead you to a much deeper understanding of Christ. So in your microchurch, um, I want to uh, I want you to discuss this. You know, since uh, since we can't speed up our lives, since there is no time travel, since we can't you know fast forward to days of future uh, maturity, who is a person you know with a spiritual depth of wisdom who could disciple you? And and I'm talking, I mean, let's say ideally 20 years, who who you could talk to, who you could reach out to. 
And oddly enough, because of COVID-19, that person is probably lonelier than you right now. So how could you reach out to them this week? Like, I want to I wanna put this into action right away. Who could you reach out to? And how could you contact this week and possibly ask them for more time learning from them? I think a lot of times those folks don't know that someone younger than them would want to hear from them. So call them and ask. It's worth the risk, okay? Finally, the key to discipleship is seeing the one that Joseph uh, foreshadowed for us and looked forward to. You know, there's a reason that Stephen, the early deacon of the church, told Joseph's story as he was telling Jesus' story. That, that section I read to you from Stephen, he was ultimately explaining Jesus to the Israelite people and saying, here's how Jesus fulfilled it all. And he tells Joseph's story in that. And he references Joseph's bones that they were buried. And it's really, it's really an interesting thing because that's essentially a statement that this Joseph died. And, and we have his bones to prove it. But Jesus, the one who is greater than Joseph, there's no bones. He was not confined to the grave. He is ultimate. He is greater than our, our forefather Joseph, the great savior of the Jewish people uh, before the Exodus. And so you need to look forward. You need to look past Joseph. And here's, here's why I say that. If you look at Joseph as a role model, if you read the Bible that way, that you're, you're looking for role models and people to pattern your lives after, you're not going to be as good as this guy. He re- like You can't find a lot of stuff that this guy did wrong, and he endured so much trouble and so much trial. You're not going to be as good as this guy. If you, look for, if you look for him to be a role model for you, you're going to fall short and you're going to be disappointed in yourself. If you look for a, a pattern of how things will work uh, when you have faith, you may be very disappointed because, you know, maybe you will have somebody turn on you that never turns and, and comes back and reconciles with you. It, it may never happen. And so if you look at the Bible as like, a, hey, these stories are going to apply directly to me, it, it might not work out for you. And it could be very, very frustrating. But when you see the one that Joseph is foreshadowing and that Jesus was the actual perfect disciple who died for the failures of the church, who lived as all of us ought to live, so that when he you know, reflects on, on our situation, when when he looks at us, he actually understands what it's like to live like us, that, that Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He understands our temptations. He's fleed every temptation that we haven't fled, and he's given our life in his life, in our place. Then we can have sustaining hope to live a life of discipleship, and we can have enough hope to offer our lives to disciple others. Because Otherwise, you're, we're unworthy to disciple anybody. I've been so excited, so proud to hear stories recently, even this past week, of people in our church who are reaching out to share the gospel and disciple other people. Now, if we had to wait for the day when we were worthy to do that, none of us would do it. But because we're made worthy in Christ, we can do that right now. And here's what Jesus offers us in conclusion. And hear this. He offers us his status as the beloved son of God. Jesus is the beloved, worthy son of God to whom everyone bows, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is him. 
and he offers us his status before God as a gift. And not only that, he offers us his presence with us, that he will help us with this long obedience that stands before us. Because as Joseph's was a long obedience and how things were not fair and how many things didn't go according to plan and many things didn't go even in a way that was enjoyable at all, Jesus is offering us his presence walking with us so that we can sustain our long obedience. And when you see the, the story of Joseph in that light, that it's pointing to Jesus, it gives you a realistic hope that can actually sustain you. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's come before God and express our worship to him one more time. If I can unmute Mike, which isn't succeeding just yet. There it is. I got you. Thou me 
out before us what's already going to happen and you have a plan you know uh what's gonna happen to us what's gonna happen around us and you've promised to not leave us to not forsake us um we just ask that as we go through life and we come up against stuff that does, just doesn't feel like it makes sense um and when we question what you're doing why why you've let things happen the way you have pray that we would just remember the story of Joseph and we'd also remember your life um, and that it can look very different depending on the plan you've got laid out for us, but you're faithful to us and you're going to complete the work that you've started in our lives. We pray that um, we would just trust you really uh, and that we would seek those that have gone before us to gain some insight and some perspective uh, so that we can get to know you better. We praise for your glory. Amen.